0: I will be reading verses 13 through 16. Mark chapter 10, 13 through 16. Here for this is the word of the Lord. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, like a child, shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. There are many blessings to being part of a church. We gather together to hear the word. We partake of the sacraments and pray. We live in love with one another and share a common bond and a communion or a fellowship. But often we forget what a blessing is. A blessing is speaking of God's favor It is God's grace, or often we call it God's common grace, that manifests itself in real time. As the church, we are to be a place of blessing because Jesus is here among us proclaiming salvation. So in a way, the church is to be ready to receive whoever walks through those doors as they may have been led here by Christ. Because the danger for us is that we can easily turn this privilege of being a church into believing that as the church, we are to micromanage or control the work of the Holy Spirit in other people. This may come from a place of pride or thinking too highly of ourselves, But this is what the disciples were guilty of and what Jesus had to address as part of their training. See, the disciples wanted to do Jesus a favor. Uh, They were acting as bodyguards who escorted Jesus around. They wanted to control who was coming to him to help with the traffic. And the people coming to him had to meet a certain level of neediness. See, they wanted to rule like the Pharisees in Rome rather than to rule as servants. So, in doing this, they excluded some of the most important people whom Jesus came to bless and to save, and that is the little children. So, what can the church learn from this text today? Well, first, to put it simply, We are to bring children to Jesus. It's simple, isn't it? We are to bring our children to Jesus. We find here that parents were bringing their children to Jesus, that he might touch them. We find this pattern throughout this gospel. People were bringing the needy to Jesus so that he would touch them to heal or to restore them. But here, uh, there is no mention of any need. This was simply so that Jesus would bless them. Uh, For the Jews, this was a common practice as uh, covenant parents would normally bring their child to the local rabbi to bless the child, specifically on the Day of Atonement. So these parents brought their covenant children to be blessed by who they considered to be their new rabbi. But the disciples decided to rebuke the parents for bringing their children to Jesus. Uh, We're not sure why or what the exact motive was. But understanding the context, they had an issue with control. They wanted to manage who came to Jesus like managers of a rock star. Jesus doesn't have time for these little children. He has more important things to do, you see. They treated him like a, a politician. Remember, there was another occasion not that long before where they saw someone casting out demons in his name and they tried to stop him. And by Jesus' response, he made it known that they didn't understand what his mission was about. They were thinking like the Pharisees. So they didn't understand what it meant to be servants. But this is the way the church ought to think of ourselves. We are to think as servants ready to receive, just as our Savior was and is always ready to receive. Because notice Jesus' response when he saw that they were rebuking and trying to hinder someone else from coming to him again. First, they try to stop the man working in his name, and now they try to stop the parents from bringing the little children. So he became indignant. Or angry, Probably the angriest he has ever been with them so far because they still treated others with contempt. Why turn anyone away from Jesus? Why withhold his blessing from anyone? Instead, he said to them, Let the children come to me. Now, this ought to convict us as parents that our number one duty before any other duty is to bring our children to Jesus. And this would include teaching them sound doctrine about who Jesus is. Now we know that Jesus is not physically present and you may be saying, well, that's a little out of context. But actually, Jesus said he is present with his church when his word is proclaimed. Whenever two or three are gathered in his name, he is present there. So we are called To bring our children to Jesus, to the gathering, especially in the worship service where they can hear about Jesus. They may not understand everything, but guess what? Adults don't understand everything. So that is no reason to hinder them from coming to Jesus. Now, sadly, I've heard Christian parents say they couldn't share the promises of the gospel or the comforts of the gospel with their children because they haven't reached the age of accountability yet. And they wouldn't understand. They don't understand sin and the gravity of hell, so they wouldn't understand the grace of the gospel. No way they can be converted. They are too young. My friends, no one will ever understand any of these things in depth. Who is to measure our understanding but God alone? I have a trick question for those who overemphasize conversion. We call this conversionism. The trick question is, when was John the Baptist converted? Wasn't he a sinner? Totally depraved? Yet, didn't he leap in his mother's womb as a response to Mary? Who's carrying the gospel? Now that's a mystery indeed. Now his mother didn't say, hey, knock it out, you haven't reached the age of accountability yet. So let us not rely on our own understanding and rather rely on the promises of Jesus Christ. Let us not think, I will withhold Jesus for now, I will micromanage the work of the Holy Spirit in my kids' lives. And when I decide they are ready, I will bring them to Jesus. Wouldn't you think that Jesus would be indignant if we were to treat our children as second-rate citizens of the kingdom and withhold the blessing of knowing Christ? Let us not withhold Jesus and his blessings from our children or from anyone for that matter. We are to proclaim the promises of the gospel to our children as early as possible. It is never too early and they can never be too young to be brought to Jesus. Because secondly, he explains why. Because the kingdom belongs to covenant children. Listen to what he says. Do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now, he is not saying that children are automatically saved. But on the other hand, they are not to be excluded from the kingdom, as if the kingdom will will only be made up of adults. And we're not called to be bouncers at the door of the kingdom saying, hey, 18 plus only. No. Here he says, children have a share in the kingdom. I mean, that is why today... Uh, you, You have adults who say they never knew a time that they didn't believe in Jesus because they were brought to Jesus at such a young age. But again, if we are seeking to micromanage, we would never think that any of our children belong to the kingdom. And we may be led, like the disciples, to treat our children as outsiders. Now, we must also remember that when Jesus uses children in his illustrations, he uses them to also represent a wider category of people. Children here also represent those who are considered insignificant. Who are they? Well, they're all of his disciples, past, present, and future, as we will be considered as in- insignificant as the children were in those days and in the eyes of the world today. We will be seen as foolish and not taken seriously. So these children represent the entire church that will be persecuted and treated as the lowest of the low of society. But also, we can't ignore the fact that Jesus demonstrates the importance of the church's attention to the children because they are to be included in the new covenant through covenant parents. That is why they are members of the church. The lesson we can learn here is that children are to be viewed as just as important as adults in the covenant that God has established. Also, children are to be included in the training and ministry of the gospel, specifically in our worship service. Now, I understand uh, some may need to take the children out of the sanctuary at times. That's understandable. That's why we have a speaker in the foyer, a TV in the basement, so you can't escape worship. Right? That's, that's a good technique to adopt. But nevertheless, they are to be included, even if you need to take them out. Pastorally, the elders treat All children of believers as Christians. We speak to them as Christians. They will be held accountable as Christians. They are not treated as second-rate citizens of the kingdom in our church. Paul says that the children of believers are. Not just in a better place than other children who don't have Christian parents. He says they are holy. They are not Unclean. 1 Corinthians 7.14 So they are to be treated as holy and they are not to be excluded. So what Jesus is saying is that we are to receive the least of these. The least of these. Whether they are poor in status or a child of little understanding. Because all of these types of people are to be included in the kingdom. Now, this is what will make up the church. Thirdly, he affirms this when he says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now he moves in an in a odd direction here. He goes from saying that, yes, children are important to the covenant. They are important to God to saying that children are an illustration of how we are to receive the kingdom. Now, this is one of the most misunderstood and possibly the most misapplied texts in all of Scripture. This text is usually used to describe someone's faith rather than the way we are to receive the gospel of the kingdom of God. It is usually taught that in order to enter the kingdom, we must have a child-like faith rather than receive the kingdom of God like a child. There is a difference. You're probably totally confused right now, but that's okay. We'll get there. There is a difference. So we must ask, is he describing the need of having a childlike faith. Is he saying that in order to enter the kingdom, all we need is a simple faith? Uh, This passage is, is usually preached like this. Notice how children are so innocent. They are simple and they are genuine they just speak whatever's on their mind. They are easygoing and they receive whatever you tell them. They don't question anything. They just easily trust God. See? That is how we are to be and that is how we are to receive the kingdom. We are to receive it with a simple, childlike faith. If you have had any interactions with children, that is not how they are. Maybe some, there are those we are concerned about who do not know what stranger danger is and they just go with the flow. And we know there are those who just speak their mind whenever they want. But generally speaking, that is not how all children are. They are defiant, they question everything. They don't receive everything you tell them. They need to be taught. They are human sinners, just like all of us. Uh, There is a new show out about Jesus, which I'm not going to promote from the pulpit. Um, and, And when they come to portray this passage, they spend almost an entire episode where Jesus is just hanging out and talking with kids. Why? Because it is based on the idea that they are more in tune with the kingdom and its ways. And they kind of turned Jesus into like a Galilean Michael Jackson. It was rather odd. It was weird. And they treated as if he didn't want to teach or hang out with adults anymore. Or have adult-like conversations anymore. My question is, what happens when these little kids grow up? Do they just lose the sense of the kingdom? Or do they have to stay and never, never land with Peter Pan until, they, uh, until Jesus comes back? You see. I say all this because unfortunately this passage has been misapplied and misused to ignore the need to move on in the Christian life to maturity. Some are tempted to reason like this. Hey, I don't need to know all these details about God. And I don't need to grow in maturity. I don't need to know all that stuff in the Bible. Because I have a simple childlike faith in Jesus. But then when you ask the question, who is Jesus? We know the answer is not that easy to to, to respond to. But you have to get it right. Also, the phrase childlike faith is nowhere in the Bible. Even the concept of a childlike faith is regarded as something bad or negative. As Paul said to the Corinthians, but I say, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Because solid food is for the mature, as the author of Hebrews says. And there are a host of passages that call us to maturity, while this passage can be misused to ignore our growth and maturity. Because here, Jesus is not calling us to be like something. He's not saying we are to become like children. He is not saying... That we are to act like children, or think like children, or reason like children. This isn't a psychoanalysis of children, right? He, He wasn't looking at the children saying, Ah, see? See how they are? This is how we are to receive the kingdom. Because this would contradict what Paul says when he speaks of the natural order of things. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. So we must ask the questions. Is Jesus saying that children are more likely to be saved than adults because they are simple and innocent? Is he saying that children are less depraved than adults? That they have a spiritual advantage over adults? I thought we were all totally depraved. Ages 0 to 90. Doesn't matter. Is Is he saying that children are to be our spiritual examples? Well, no. I would argue that he is not speaking of a childlike faith. He is not describing a certain character that we must have in order to receive the kingdom. So what is he saying? You're probably asking yourself. Well, just like in the verses prior, it has to do with the places, the place of children in society and in the home. Remember, children in those days did not hold any status. They were insignificant. They did not have freedoms or rights. Their rights belonged to their parents. And this is partly natural. They couldn't just get up and go to work for themselves. They can't go from here to there without being carried or brought by their parents. Remember, they had to bring their children to Jesus. Children are dependent. They can't feed themselves or clothe themselves. They can't teach themselves. And everything they receive is given to them. It is given to them. So in other words, everything they receive is a gift given to them by parents who care for them. They are passive in everything. So he is not speaking of having a child like faith in order to earn the kingdom. But he is speaking of receiving the kingdom as a gift. Everything we have in Jesus Christ is a gift. We can't earn the kingdom. We come with empty hands like little children, waiting and depending on their parents to give them what they need. That is how we approach our Father with empty hands, waiting on Him to give us what we need. But what were the disciples doing? They were treating the kingdom as if you had to meet a certain standard before receiving it. Well, over the centuries we have seen this. We have seen this even in the, in the Reformed church. You had to meet a certain s- standard of a sadness or grief before you receive the gospel. If you haven't been sad enough about your sin, then you can't receive it. You see... They were stopping the children because they thought Jesus didn't have time to deal with little children. The children didn't meet their standards. Maybe they weren't old enough or they weren't needy enough. They were picking and choosing who was allowed to come to Jesus. While Jesus is saying, anyone and everyone is to come to me, there is no age of accountability. I will bless them the way I see fit. Who are you to stop them? It's funny how many have turned this passage into receiving the kingdom as a gift, into receiving the kingdom based on character traits. We can turn this passage about God's grace and favor into works, you see. Becoming like a child. And we've all run into well-meaning Christians, good Christians, Christians we love, that tend to act very playful and giddy. And oftentimes they attribute to it, I'm receiving the kingdom like a child. It becomes a work to earn the kingdom. Rather, this passage says, there are no qualifications that you can meet, just like a child. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter what personality type you are, introvert, extrovert, whatever, that does not qualify you to receive the kingdom. It doesn't make you fit for the kingdom. No works, no status, nothing makes you good enough for the kingdom. It is all a gift of God and to be received as a gift. Something that you can never earn or work for. Just like a child who can't work or earn anything, you can't work to receive the kingdom. And just like a child, you can never pay back what has been given to you. No matter how strong or self sufficient you are, no matter how rich. Or successful. No matter how poor. It doesn't matter if you are free. Or if you are a slave. No matter how, how mobile or immobile. It is to be received. Like a child. Passively. With nothing to offer to God. Nothing in my hands I bring. Only to the cross cycling. Nothing. So his warnings to his, to his disciples is much like Paul's, to the Corinthians. What do you have that you did not receive? Everything we have has been given to us like needy children who need to be cared for. That is our status as children of God. We are needy children who are to depend fully on our Father to save us and to care for us in our Christian walk. Why would you stop the children who are the neediest of all from coming to Jesus? So he is saying to us, become like children, not in character traits, but become needy and dependent on God totally helpless, bereft, lacking in everything. And go to Jesus for your blessing because you need it. You need it. You have nothing without him. Become insignificant because that is what is in store for all of his disciples. The world views you as such. You are insignificant in their eyes. And if you don't receive the kingdom, as it has been given to you freely as a gift, you shall not enter it. Now, there is a a point to make that in the beginning of our Christian walk, we do receive the kingdom uh, like a child with little understanding, at least some of us. uh, There are many who just soar, right, once they become uh, Christians and they grow to maturity uh, pretty quickly. But most of us take time. And we we begin with very little understanding. Because the other thing about children is that oftentimes, they are so unaware of how much they are cared for by their Heavenly Father. They are so unaware. Yet Jesus still blesses them. He still blesses them. Because something else we can learn from this text And what Jesus was demonstrating to His disciples was that Jesus still blesses these little children despite them. Despite them. This is how He blesses His disciples. Throughout this entire journey of walking with Him, He still blessed them despite them. This is a picture Of his blessing to them, despite their little understanding. They weren't even aware of the blessing of being in Jesus' presence. Like these children. These children were brought to Jesus, probably thinking, What are we doing with this guy? They didn't say to themselves, Hey, I think I'll go to Jesus today. No, they were brought to Jesus. Because usually we think of our salvation as, I made a choice for Jesus. Rather than Jesus reaching out and touching us and setting us apart for himself. And this decision was made before the foundation of the world. And today, he uses the church as a means to set us apart and to bless us with his promises of grace. So fourthly, there is the blessing of being a covenant child in the church. Then Jesus took the children into his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Now, the laying on of hands have always been viewed as a sign of blessing or of setting someone apart. Now, many use this passage as a direct offense of covenantal or infant baptism. While others on the other side will respond that baptism is nowhere mentioned whatsoever. I will not use this passage as a direct defense of covenantal baptism. But I will use it as an indirect defense of covenantal or infant baptism. I would like to take the middle road and say, you're right, it doesn't mention baptism at all. But it does give us a picture of Christ's attitude toward children. Which means it can be used as a direct defense of children already being included in the covenant. Already being included in the church. Just as before in the Old Testament. So in Jesus' mind there is a continuity between the Old and the New Testament. And we see this in his attitude Toward children. It is the same attitude God had toward children in the Old Testament. Jesus didn't come to change the status of children in the church. There is no mention from Jesus that there has been a change in age before including them. And there is no mention that children are to be excluded. If anything, they are especially included given our text. So based on that inclusion, it must be assumed that they would have been received by the sign of the covenant. Circumcision in the old, baptism in the new. So knowing this, ask yourself, would Jesus turn away children from being members of the church and refuse them the sign of the covenant? When entire households were being baptized, were there no children present? And would Jesus have his disciples do what they did here in rebuking their parents for bringing their children to the baptismal font? Now let let us consider the text. First, notice there is no age given to the children, but from the fact that they were brought to Jesus and he took them in his arms means they were of younger age, which would have included some infants. And he blessed them. The word to bless here means to invoke blessing. And it also means to consecrate and to set apart for godly use. And this is done by a verbal prayer. And he is said to lay his hands on them as a sign of the blessing. So what we see here is God's sovereignty in choosing whom he will to bless. Despite the state of the one receiving the blessing. He blesses whomever he chooses of whatever age or status. Because there are blessings to being part of God's covenant family. That the one who receives it does not always understand or realize. Your children probably don't get it yet. But as Peter says, this promise is for you and your children. Jason Halopoulos uh, mentions this blessing in his book entitled Covenantal Baptism. And he quotes someone saying how this blessing was verbal and audible, but was hardly comprehended or understood by these infants and children. But their lack of understanding did not take away from the fact That it was a blessing. It did not take away God's sovereign power over their lives. And guiding them to the living waters of Christ. Their lack of understanding did not take away from Jesus. Including them in the kingdom of God. In other words, this wasn't just an illustration of blessing. But he actually blessed these children. He blessed them and considered them as those who have a share in the kingdom. Even though they may not recognize or understand the blessing or the fact that they even belonged, Jesus blessed them anyway, and they were regarded as belonging. And if they belong, then we would conclude they receive the sign of the covenant. Now one day they will need to fulfill the covenant obligations and confess with their mouths, that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that God raised them from the dead in in order to come into full communion, but it doesn't take away from this blessing. And Jason asks this question, if Christ willingly blessed children during his earthly ministry, why would he change his ministry of blessing after he ascended? He is the same Christ then as he is now. So, what can the church learn from this text? Well, in summary, we can learn that we should never hinder anyone from the gospel. We ought to have a heart to share Jesus with everyone of every age, no matter how young or old, or no matter their mental state. No matter their mental state. It doesn't matter if someone is mentally disabled. You know, in some uh, extreme corners uh, of evangelicalism, some argue that people with mental retardation automatically go to hell. Because they don't understand enough, or, or so they assume. See where thinking too much leads us? We shouldn't worry about how much one receives, we shouldn't worry about trying to micromanage the work of the Holy Spirit for Jesus. Rather, the call is to bring all to Jesus and allow His sovereign power to work in their hearts and save them. Allow Christ to bless whomever He will, just as He blessed you, just as He saved you, and especially the little children. So don't turn them away. Amen.